Welcome to the DevReady Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we're joined by Yupin Robson. Uh, she is the co-founder of Edify Med. Um, Edify is all about um, sharing knowledge from uh, people in medical industries to maybe the underprivileged sort of markets that can't get access to um, good information and good sound information and studies today and then always about changing the language around that so giving translations to enable people to learn um, at a faster rate. Yupin, thank you for joining us, really appreciate your time. Thank you, thank you for having me Andrew. When we spoke, um, it was pre-Christmas, I believe. I think one of the, the things that stood out was um, the inequality that you sort of mentioned across the globe in terms of um, medical information and what you stood for as a business. Um, found that quite fascinating. Um, but let's dig in a little bit about you. So, Yupin, tell us a bit about your background and what's brought you to today and how you sort of moved into Edify Med. Um, okay, yeah, so I, um, I was born in Thailand, um, so our family immigrated to Australia when I was nine years old. Um, I didn't speak any English when we came, um, and I sat at home for six months learning English from play school. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm still fluent in my Thai, um, which I'm really grateful for, but I didn't lose that, um, which many people, you know, do when they come at that age. Um, so that's kind of my, my, my family heritage. Um, I did all my studies here. I mean, you can hear me. I'm pretty Aussie. <laughs> pretty Aussie, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Sometimes when they see my face, like, oh, we weren't quite expecting. From that. <laughs> um, I studied science. I really loved medicine. I was going to go into med, but um, life had different plans. And I went to kind of the dark side of medicine, which is industry. <laughs> um, and spent over 23 years working in the pharmaceutical and medical device world um, in sales, marketing, training, commercialization, um, all of those things. Um, just pre-COVID, stepped off that kind of uh, big train um, that just takes you on this really long journey and started, um, you know, thinking, you know, what's life outside of um, the corporate juggernaut and that was actually where kind of the idea of edify medical really came from um i rang a, a really great girlfriend bianca who is the other co-founder for edify medical um and um, i said hey you know want to do something <laughs> and she's like oh okay when you came out of corporate world was it um something you sort of had the idea flushing away within your mind or is it you decided to take a break during COVID and then come up with the concepts because a lot of people were thrown in the deep end and sort of thought, uh, maybe I should do something on my own. Where, where did you stand within that? Yeah, so actually I came out because I was um, mm. I was supposed to move to Singapore for work okay. and we actually came to an impasse where I couldn't um, do that because mm. I was <clears throat> had spent about four years running Asia Pack from the Gold Coast, which is... Um, you know, amazing. Um, but they really wanted me to be in Singapore. And so we decided to part way um, at that point. Um, and I finished up with a redundancy package in January. Um, as you'd know, um, COVID started creeping around in March <laughs> was when we all started to really hear about it. Um, so it wasn't really, I just, it kind of caused the pause 
Um, I knew that when I finished the corporate journey, I wasn't in a great rush to go back in. I really felt like um, I wanted to do something that was of value and not just be working for money. Um, and so kind of the COVID situation gave the space um, to think about what it was that I wanted to do. Um, I had a few offers to go back and do some stuff for smaller industry, um, startups actually in Brisbane, um, some health startup, but decided not to kind of pursue that and started my own consulting business first just to earn a little bit of money, um, which is OBSID Consulting. Um, and as fun as I found the consulting business was, um, being a saleswoman, I really wanted my own product to sell. <laughs> so that was kind of like, what can I have that I can make and I can sell myself? <laughs> well, if you've got really... that experience, it's, um, yeah, you understand that product can obviously help you leverage out and do things a little bit differently. Consulting is by the hour consulting rates, which with your experience would be reasonably high, I would imagine. But it is a, a taxing sort of a role because it's all about you showing up, being the best that you can be and adding good value. So um, it is a very different world to selling product for sure. I've, I've actually found, I've continued to consult today, even through the whole process. Um, and interestingly, I have to say, I've actually found the experience of consulting to other businesses is kind of like getting free consulting work to edify. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> no one else is yeah. use business. I like it. Oh, you're always learning, right? And we don't know everything. That's a, that's a reality too. Um, so what, and, and a pod, I sit in here on a podcast talking to you and I'm here to learn something from you. And I treat it a little bit selfishly as well, because I definitely will learn something through today. Um, and we'll share it out and hopefully someone else can learn from it and learn something from you as well. So yes, I feel what we say there when you're working with other businesses, I get it. No, it's really fun. Um, I think that was, you know, and I feel privileged to have had the opportunity to um, make the changes in life that, you know, sometimes many of us feel like we, we want to make but can't do it for whatever restrictions. So I feel really privileged that I was able to um, have the opportunity to make some major changes um, and, and, and be supported by, you know, friends and families um, uh, in the process of, of the change. So um, having having joy in what you do has always been really important um, part of my work. Um, and when you stop having kind of fun and joy, then you really, then you're just working for money, aren't you? So Yeah, and that's when, if the fun goes out of it, we generally um, can sort of get sort of monotonous in terms of our day-to-day -day and get a bit of, uh, yeah, waiting for the weekend and if that becomes what your reality is it can be a little bit of a challenge definitely um in terms of moving i'll ask the question moving from corporate to startup what are some of the learnings that you've seen because being in corporate for 23 years and moving to startup is very very different worlds um so what's some of the learnings that you've had during the transition um i think the biggest learning is really you know at the end of the day um everything stops with you, whether it be the finances, um, the development of everything, um, the tools to do what you need to do to either make a product or sell a product. Um, I had a lot of resources at my fingertip with big budgets and was quite a, you know, big spender. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so actually learning 
to value the money of how much and how hard that is and using other people's money um, was a really big, um, you know, growth part. Um, I think it's, uh, we're not taught a lot in a way, well, I guess nobody teaches anything, but actually the structure and setting up of a business, um, um, we've got a three-way, we've got a two-way um, split in our co-ownership um, of Edify with uh, Bianca and Adrian owning their part um, together and myself owning um, my part of the business. And I think just navigating through finding the right co-founders with the same value, same idea, um, uh, same goals and timeline, um, I think is really would be really difficult, and I certainly when we were going through our accelerator program, the Luminar X, um, a plug for the cohort team. Yes. The... <laughs> um, you know, it was such a great experience. But what we really was quite obvious was um, our team was to be envied a little bit because we had each other um, to bounce stuff around, or just to tag in and out when you know one person couldn't be available for. Um, for things. So being a solo, I think, um, founder is a really lonely, I think, journey. And I guess, um, yeah, if you can find the right crew mm -hmm. um, to, to go on this journey with, it, it really is worth um, so much um, in your mental, physical and financial health, really. <laughs> I think one of the key things you mentioned there was making sure they've got the, the same timelines as you. Um, so same values, same, yeah, they, they're on the same journey as you and they want to be a part of the process. But I found in some businesses and startups where they had different timelines where one co-founder had maybe a six-month runway um, and they just couldn't sustain it financially. And then another one had a three-year runway and as soon as six months came up, it got a little bit taxing on the business. And then that business effectively just broke up because the timelines were different. Same principles, same values same um, driving force but they didn't get clear on all their expectations so definitely one um, big takeaway yeah look you know i'm gonna lie to you that's definitely something that we've had to learn as well um and i think the most important thing is to continue to have a conversation um with each other from a place of respect and understanding um, and going back to, you know, why we all started the journey in the first place and be really solution focused about what's next. Um, talking about, you know, the dirty laundry and trying to find a good solution to it is, you know, I guess my thing is it's, it is a marriage and um, you're all going to fight and you're going to have bad days where you're all grumpy with each other and people aren't meeting expectations and, you can't just break up just with the first, you know, hurdle. Um, and there's, so, there's going to be plenty of those hurdles across the journey. Yeah. <laughs> and tough conversations because it's it's we when we put people in a in a little bit of pressure cooker, and that's what a startup can be. There can be a bit of pressure on our team and everybody that's involved, and um, it can be a little bit personal too because it's like your concepts, your ideas, and you're sort of battling your own thought processes and you're learning because it's new it's different um and throwing everyone in that little pressure cooker um can have its own moments and been there done that with our um, founders and co-founders and no longer founders with the business in the past and yeah you learn a lot from those experiences
Yeah, and I think um, I guess having having the um, the bravery to make hard decisions, um, you know, whatever those hard decisions are, is really important. But I'm a really big believer in um, you know respecting. I would expect to be respected, and I would respect other people. And I think if you can always keep that um, at the table, at the discussion table, um, you know, things are more likely to get resolved than you know, the blame gap. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that I've found that's worked um, with groups that we've, we've seen that have worked is generally the, the co-founders have different skill sets and different views of the world. Um, now, you might find that that would be a little bit challenging because you're working with completely different people, but um, if you can learn to understand the benefits of each other and the value that you bring, uh, that I've found is the best makeup in terms of a little group because you will have your your sort of battles against each other but as soon as you can really understand and comprehend how each other works thinks um, about everything how they operate it's going to put you in good stead so i found that people that are the same thinking co-founders um, generally just say yes to each other and keep moving there's no one challenging the thinking and that's another issue that you can run into yeah look i, I feel like we actually have the dream team andrew <laughs> in that sense of uh -huh. i am team calls me the hustler i'm yes. the front end um we have bianca who's like the super nerd she's clinical she's process driven she's really methodical she loves sitting down doing iso <laughs> exciting stuff isn't it well you would be not at all <laughs> yes. uh, um, and then we have Adrian who is, you know, really, our, he's kind of our tech designer background, very um, uh, systematic in the way he approaches. Um, and between all of us, actually, we all bring 20 plus years experience to the table as a team. So we, we kind of like an old startup. <laughs> That's how I describe it. Old startup, us. but yeah, I think... Um... A 20-year-old startup compared to someone that has experience. Like you have to, um, uh, when you're moving from corporate, you have to unlearn some of the things that you learned in corporate world to move into startup. But it's a hell of a lot easier than a 20-year-old that has no real-world experience or anything trying to jump in. Um, yeah, so you just got to unwind, throw some things out that you've learned in the corporate world because, like you said, uh, you might have had big budgets, things you could throw out, test, gauge, but now you've got to really be smart and poignant as to which way you approach it. Um, so it's about a bit slower movement sometimes in a startup to make a decision because once you stick with it, that's the investment um, that you're going to make. So, But you need to be able to move and test and gauge. There's plenty to learn. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, do I think we've done ours totally on the cheap? Um, probably not totally on the cheap um, because we did actually get some early investment in from outside investors. But I think um, what we have done with with our development of our product is we never actually did any development um, until we went through the accelerator program, until we mapped out. You know, we just felt like we took a lot of early learnings um, pitfalls, mistakes that people have kind of um, navigated and, and fallen into. Um, and that's when we really started to spend the money that, you know, once we actually had a bit more of a um, an understanding of, of let's, let's do it and, and do it in stages. So I can't spend enough um, getting involved with the ride accelerator mm -hmm. as far as um, listening to the learnings, like mm -hmm. you just said. Yes. Of, um, of, you know, of those that have actually, you know, been in the trenches themselves mm -hmm. and
that they can advise you. I think going in with totally open mind for a learning experience um, and leaving kind of prejudice or previous ideas kind of at the door, not disvaluing it, discounting it, but being really open to actually how does that fit in with what I believe is true is really, really important. Yeah, and I think going in as open-minded and coachable um, is important because it's a new experience for yourself, your team members um, that are coming out of corporate and that you need to be open-minded to other people's experiences because that's one of the reasons why we do the podcast, sharing people's experiences. And if anyone's willing to listen, that's a good start um, because if we sort of just think we're on our own journey and we can make our own decisions, there's so much we can time we can save by learning from others. So I think, yeah, being a part of good accelerators, good mentors and being willing to listen. Um, but yes, like you said, you need to make your own calls. It's your business at the end of the day. So uh, you need to make your own judgments, make your own decisions off the back of past knowledge and what you're learning through the process. Yeah. I think for me the one thing that has been really different that I just didn't quite understand um, and I'm much clearer now a year into this is, you know, the pathway to capital mm -hmm. is is such an important conversation for any business, um, whether it be startup or established business. Um, I think that as a startup community, um, we can really do better to educate um, business, um, you know, of the different types of options that are available, um, the different pathways. I think it's um, there's a tendency to take down, um, you know, the angels or the VC route is a, has a much louder gong um, in the kind of that, that startup world than other opportunities and other, um, you know, ways of, of getting capital. So I think, if, you know, in the startup community, if that is something that can, um, you know, uh, be shared um, with a great, a bit more honesty of, well, if you do choose to go down certain paths, these are the types of outcomes that you're looking at. Because you do get on a bit of a train and you're excited and you're high and you wanting to do everything that everyone's kind of trying to tell you um but it's not necessarily um the way to go and approach um you know it might not be suitable for your business and what you want from it what approach did you take obviously you've you've got something that you've learned through that experience so what approach did you take from a funding perspective i know you have mentioned you've had a funding route what did that look like for you um, yeah, so we had an initial funding round where it was um, kind of high net worth individuals um, that had invested for a um, equity share um, in the company. Um, not a huge percentage of equity here, but um, you know, fifteen percent um, equity share in in the company. Um, you know, happy to share. It. So it was we had a half a half a million dollar investment. Um, um, but they were my kind of net worth, um, high net worth uh, connections who knew me, knew my work, um, you know, believed in the vision of what we had for the company. Um, and it's it was based, the amount, I guess, was based on what we needed to deliver um, a product to a good MVP level to really take it to the next kind of milestone. Got it. it was big um, amount for a very specific task mm -hmm. um, and we have kind of explored other um, options um, we're not suitable for some <laughs> they don't want to see us either <laughs> um, 
Uh, but I think I, because I have been involved with it, and I think we've probably, I'm sure you'll touch into this a little bit, um, other networks, um, the She I Network and now the She Backs Me um, kind of group, uh, have a little bit better understanding what other capital potential investments that there are out there that are not um, tied to your um, giving up capital. Um, uh, you know, there there are some other ways of, um, you know, trying to get money, which I think you do feel a little bit rushed all the time as a startup to raise. There's just this kind of it's sense of... For urgent, yeah, there's urgency. There's, oh, we need yeah. capital to do things to keep moving and um, yeah. everyone sort of gets pulled into that. Yeah, they really do, mm. and I get really swept up and caught up, mm -hmm. and you very emotional and emotive, and um, you know you feel like that that's just what you should do. But um, and so it's taken a little bit of time to kind of unwind from from that type of um, you know requirements, and I think a lot of stuff is very much led by a lot of other international. Um, ideas which don't actually necessarily meet the Australian taxation requirements which are that that like the details of how money comes in and how money gets accounted for sounds really great at a um, high level but um, at a micro level and a practical level um, they don't actually necessarily work for Australian taxation system so I think if my advice to any startup is to assess every every aspect of that really carefully um your accountant really has to be your best friend in this process um because they are the ones that are like super boring and will tell you whether or not you can actually do that and what impact if you do that will come to you <laughs> so. oh, yeah because there are challenges in terms of um to release equity to somebody and once it's got a value and then all of a sudden there's a tax implication there's a number of different things that would be considered um there's plenty of options there's r&d tax concessions but you need a bit of money to spend up front there's um there's debt facilities there's loans there's financing you can do um especially if you're in the world of subscriptions starting to generate some revenue if you don't want to go back and go down that round so there's there's plenty of options um but yeah, I think people need to, like you said, probably just dig in, just have a bit more of a conversation around what the options are um, and how they might do that. There are groups that may um, look at equity deals, especially early on, and do um, reduce payments, etc. And there's different options, but it's all depends on what level the company's at. Because once you start raising half a million dollars at a 15% valuation, there's a value on this business now. Um, so that changes what, like you said, the tax implications of any equity release, etc., for the people that are receiving it. So there's a few things to think about there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think it's, it is a, it's, and, and again, even just the equity um, between mm -hmm. the initial equity split. Yes. Um, I think, I, I guess what would I say if I was to do it again? I think there would be very little rush in kind of splitting anything at the front end and having, you know, different, um, looking at all of the different ways of which that could be actually mm -hmm. done. Um, but, you know, and that's why lots of people have like yes. three or four stuff. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Many people will go through that journey, um, one after the other after the other, and getting it right. I think I agree with that. I think the equity splits at the beginning. Um, before anything's done is a little bit challenging and I think it 
it all sounds rosy at the beginning where you, you bring a team of three people together and the expectations are sort of set, but um, then some one person's doing it all and um, if someone decides to exit, do you have a plan to get them out and what happens to the equity? So you've got to think about all this sort of stuff and um, unfortunately at the time of startup we're in a, a mode of excitement, we're moving, we're looking to be on the same journey but we don't think about what if things change um, and yeah that's something that not many do. Uh, reality is probably 10% of them do it. I mean, we've said it offline, you know, yeah. you're just you're going you get married and you yeah. like, don't think yes. exist. Correct. It's <laughs> <laughs> the same in business. Exactly. So, it's the same thing. Like, whoa, what a messy, messy exit that yeah. was. <laughs> yep. Got it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the reality. We're just happy to get in and start. And um, yeah, no one's thinking about exit. Um, I reckon, yeah, 5-10% of people tell me about exit. No one does. Um, they're thinking about how they exit and sell this business. Everyone thinks about what sort of dollars they want when they want to exit. But yeah, no one's thinking about what happens if a partner wants to exit or you need to get an investor out. What is the process? Um, yeah, no one really thinks that through. So that's something they can flag. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone talks about it. Yeah. <laughs> that awkward prenup. <laughs> it is. <laughs> get it. It's exactly what it is. So in terms of, um, yeah, you mentioned a little bit on... CEO, um, you're a bit involved in that um, group. Tell us a little bit, little bit about that. It is International Women's Day as we're recording this today, so it's probably um, fitting to have you on the podcast and talking yeah, a little about CEO and what the importance of that within the community and um, She Backs Me and all these things that you're involved in um, from an investor's perspective. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that world from you. Yeah, I'd love to tell you, share this with you. Um, so CEO started in Canada um, seven years ago. Vicky Saunders, um, a real visionarian, um, I think, in the way um, she viewed how women um, were really, uh, you know, not getting access to funding um, comparable to their male counterparts when it came to venture capital or any kind of investment and all of the challenges that, um, you know, came with that whether it be um, the business ideas just didn't resonate with the wall of um, men who were, um, you know, looking at the business ideas and didn't really understand why um, that business would be exciting, you know, period undies or something. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't get it. And I think there's a lot of challenges in that world. It's, yes, you've got men running venture capital groups. That's the majority of making decisions on things like that. And they really have no um, place and understanding and concepts and some of those things. But yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a yeah, bit to that. And women do think different and we do mm -hmm. different. Um, and so CEO really kind of came from that philosophy mm -hmm. and what he has created is a group, collective group of women who are underpinned by um, one philosophy, which is radical generosity. Um, we all believe and um, believe in the ethos of radical generosity where we pay it forward to our, um, you know, our female peers um, if we can. And what that looks like is we actually donate um, $1,100 every year. It's not tax deductible. It's, it's just you activate and become part of this community. Um, and then that money actually gets pooled, um, collective, and it is then used to fund um, five businesses. Um, so here in Australia, we had a funding pool of half a million dollars um, that uh, was decided earlier this year. Um, five businesses, um, women-led, um, women-owned businesses 
Um, and the terms for that is interest-free for five years. So and that's um, an example of a different type of funding route. And yeah, no, it's quite a, when you told me about this, I didn't know the detail and I thought it's quite fascinating. And I think that's a, it's a great initiative in terms of adding value to um, people that are, are trying to make a difference and um, having all females involved in this process is, yeah, hats off to um, that concept getting through and actually growing in Australia as well. I think it's a, it's. So in Canada, there is, the idea is to eventually create a perpetual fund that grows and grows and grows because we've had almost 100% payback. So that's almost unheard of in the world of financial um, repayment so, where the business yeah. in line have, I think there's literally one in all of the time that has not paid that yeah. money back. Wow. And <laughs> What do you think is the reason for that? Is it the way it's vetted? What is the reason you think that that actually happened? Um, I think it's the, the, again, the ethos you apply for. It's literally five questions. Um, tell us about what it is that you're doing and why is it going to make a difference to the world? <laughs> you know? um, how will this affect the people? And like, there's all these questions that you just wouldn't really get that it would be important. Oh. Um, and... Then the um, finalists, uh, semi, the, uh, you get um, semi-finalists that are um, put in and then actually all the activators review the businesses and they vote mm -hmm. and then they do the finals and then all of the activators actually then review um, and then select the final five. But in that process of going to the finals, the finances are all reviewed. There is a minimum you have to um, bring in at least $50,000 a year in revenue. So it's not like an early startup, no revenue but it's 50000 a year. And so all of the finances are checked that everything's legitimate, the structure and the business is good, and they go into the final. Um, the activators then all vote for the final five. And then the final five then go away for a weekend together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this was fascinating. <laughs> you described this. <laughs> um, they talk about how they should split this money amongst themselves. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> One person can't have it all. One can have none, you know, the, yes. and then you can't have an split. <laughs> you can't have any because it's brilliant. So this is all, all our war, or how does it go generally? <laughs> it is, so it is a community. It is a, a pay it for, a mentor. You help each other. Um, it's a connection. It's a network. It, it It's just... You know, again, lots and lots of like-minded people helping to support other like-minded individuals and actually then bringing, you know, younger people into that fold um, who are starting their journey as well in a safe space where nobody's trying to take anything from them. Everyone's just there to really give um, kind of, you know, their, their assistance. Um, so, uh, you know, it is really, I think, uh, and I put it out there to any of your listeners who are, um, you know, men and women, it's not just a but who really believe in this kind of a new way of um, supporting funding businesses for people to be successful, um, who really look into CEO and, um, and if you have some spare cash that you want to pay it forward, that, you know, um, then it, it, you know, businesses make more businesses, make more income, make more jobs, you know. Um, it's a win for everybody. I find it, yeah, fascinating that uh, everyone's been able to pay it back. Um, but the way, how many um, activators would there be? 500, give or take? Is that where we're at? Yes. Yeah. I think it's about the year in total uh -huh. in Australia. 
Um, there is 500 um, activators here. Mm -hmm. It's growing. I think COVID's been challenging because we haven't mm. been able to have like um, the in-person um, event. I had a phone call today just talking about, you know, where we'd like to see um, what, what, what would be of interest and important to us um, going forth. So, um, yeah, I think just getting that message out there to really increase that because what that allows is, um, and what I do know has happened, is that the governments do get introduced to this concept. Um, we spend, I think our government spends a lot of money supporting lots of kind of female mentorship or this program and that program. But at the end of the day, women need money <laughs> to start their businesses. Everybody needs money or some form of capital. That's, yes. We don't, yes. We don't need another accelerator. Mm -hmm. We need cash to deliver the products and services that we actually need to do in order to get our businesses going. So, you know, that's actually had some really great engagement from government. It's but it is so different. It is a really different way of looking at it's money. Unique, definitely. Very it's, unique, yes. And I think the fact that it works um is yeah, it says a lot, I think um I think there's a little bit in it. There's a a bit of a group review and I think that's important because sometimes um a review of two to three people looking at one thing can leave a lot of challenges. But if you've got four or 500 people voting on something um, based on their past experience, you, maybe that herd mentality or thinking actually helps the process. I quite that, find that fascinating that it's all working. But if you, Andrew, women mm. actually repay their loans. Yes. Like when you look at the, yeah. you know, just statistics in general, mm -hmm. um, Women-led businesses yeah. um, have much better stats, success, mm -hmm. and revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so it really is, I feel like, a no-brainer that you, we, you know, we divert some of the money into mm -hmm. these people who have really good stats. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? And in terms of being an activator, do you, can you be a male activator, or is it just a close to him? You can be. Yep. It's definitely something, yeah, I'll share a lot about, um, especially given what day it is today, we'll share this out and just get this message out as a part of the podcast predominantly. Radical generosity. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is, you know, the mm -hmm. absolute core mm -hmm. um, war cry for us. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I think it's, yeah, it's a great... Um, Great initiative, and I think that's um, yeah, it's pretty good to see that it's happening in that way, and it's quite unique. It's I've heard of no other group that does that. I think it's very unique. You said zero interest money too, so I think that's um, yeah, it's all about just backing some people that um, probably you have a bit of faith in, and you feel like um, they're going to make a difference. And obviously, when you're voting, you're going to appreciate those five questions, and you're going to agree with the ones the most that you vote for. So, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, and you tap into the, the amazing yes. work knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, there are so many talented people out there who don't even realise how talented they are. Mm -hmm. And when you have that group, you know, you can just go, I really need some help. Someone can bounce. So I was helping somebody from Canada, um, some sales stuff. Like, you just you, you that knowledge of people who are really willing to share those knowledges with you. It's, it is really unique, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, very, very good. So tell me a little bit back to your experience. Um, now, one of the things that you sort of tapped in was picking team. And I think picking a team is very important, especially our co-founders. 
What approach did you take when selecting team? Is it people you work with? Did you meet them in accelerator groups? How did you go through that selecting of uh, who you work with and who's going to be a part of the co-founder um, journey yeah. with you? Um, so my my experience um, was I, and it's funny you mentioned before, you know, people with the same similar personality, just you kind of, so there was always one person I always wanted to start a business with, but we just tried and I just, it never just went anywhere. It was really weird, like yeah. really both amazing sets of skills. And I just wonder whether it was because we had the same set of skills. Interesting. That's why. <laughs> um, I kind of stopped trying to push that <laughs> boat. Um, I rang um, Bianca when I had got her redundancy a few months later after I did. Okay. And so did you work together in the past, same company? At Medtronic. Yes. Um, actually, I'd be anchor into the business okay. many, many years ago and then kind of mentored her into taking my role as I moved um, through the company. Um, so I already knew, you know, her skill sets, who she was as an individual and because I was wanting to do something around the education space, um, uh you know, it was. It made a lot of sense that those were the skills that she also had, and I really liked her as a person. And then the fact that she had a redundancy, I was like, "Well, you've got nothing to do." And so I rang her at nine o'clock. She's sitting having her first not working cup of coffee. <laughs> She's already getting phone calls or something to do. You're brilliant. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> um, so that was kind of our initial conversation. I'm just like. All right, we'll have and come and have a chat. So our chat went was like a seven hour brainstorm chat from let's just have some GP meetings and get a specialist to come in and talk, which is like ba basic bread and butter stuff for us. Mm -hmm. Well, well, that kind of sucks because people can't come because it's COVID. Well, let's let's stream it. Okay, well, yeah, we should stream it. Okay, well, no, we should just record it for afterwards. And then it was like, well, do we even need to have a meeting if we're recording? And it kind of just. <laughs> And this is so unfair that it's just in English wrong with us because I was talking to her about my experience in Asia. So I'm bilingual Thai. And because I trained the team from India all through Asia, right through to Japan, and I worked with all of the doctors in all of those countries, I just saw firsthand that we just pushed everything out in English. And not mm. only did the struggle with not just the language but even accent, um, yeah, I can the imagine team. the challenge with just the accents and whoever's communicating that, especially when it's a second language. They're like, can you translate Australians for us? We can't even... <laughs> <laughs> it would be very challenging, yeah. It wouldn't be easy for them, so got that. Yeah, so, and even team to, so when we were training APAC team to go into their country to be clinical experts in their areas so that they're going to go and teach doctors and nurses, I, because I was Thai, I saw the disconnect in one, learning in English, and then um, correctly understanding the information, and then correctly reinterpreting that information into local language and teaching the next person. Because I saw that happening in the Thai, um, there was... You know, by the time you got to the the relaying of the information back in the local language, it was probably 25% left of the information. Yeah, so you saw the problem through your but past experience. All mm. us burning out um, product managers, marketing managers in country who were doing all the translations themselves, they had to, the burden of that work, of that 
um, accurate technical translation I saw directly. It was just and and then the loss of quality would go if mm. the staff left. We're back yeah. to square one again. Um, we start again. So there was just no consistency, um, reliability. Um, mm -hmm. And so I guess having seen that, I really was, that was a really strong focus for me. It was like, if we are doing this, we need to actually make this available in other languages because when we don't give it in languages that's other than English, um, the people, we just assume everyone speaks English, but they just don't. So um, when you look at the world and look at what languages is a first language in all of the world, um, only 5% of the world has English as a first language. Yeah, so they may speak English, but not first language means there's always challenges with translation, comprehension. Yeah, there are difficulties. It's not a first language. Yeah. And, and so when you have, if we talk about the doctors themselves, you know, the people who go to meetings to learn, they have the means to go and do that, the time and the language ability. Then they come back home and they have to disseminate those information accurately um, in a timely manner. And you know what? That's a lot of Chinese whispers and a lot of um, um, privileges to access that information. So I guess that's where Edify really came from. We just wanted to break down all those privilege points, language privilege points, Got it. Um, access points, mm -hmm. and cost privilege points, so that the junior doctor in Calcutta has actually heard that training exactly from that expert the same as his superior. And how do you go um, about doing that? Because obviously um, you need someone really versed in both languages to translate, but also probably with the medical background, I would imagine, to be able to make sure that everything is as it should be. Um, so how do you approach that piece? Um, yeah, so we, a little bit naively at the beginning. <laughs> as we all do as you walk into the world of startup, but yes. <laughs> made this assumption that um you know if you use companies that you could actually get some quality okay uh, through yeah. our own personal experience and cash outlay is that many yes. of these organizations use machine learning mm -hmm. um, and because we did all of the tests in thailand thai mm -hmm. first and i can read thai yes i can quality of the work that's probably a good place to start where you can actually verify because otherwise it's very hard as my speaker yeah. is clearly a man and yeah. every single um, text is referring to a woman as a speaker. I was like, oh, dear. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so we didn't mean to actually um, become a translation-specific company, but we've actually mm. had to be um, and built the resources and manpower to deliver on the accuracy um, and specialist our knowledge that's required to do this. Um, so we actually have literally called to arms, um, you know, the medical community to be part of this journey. Um, what's been a really interesting and exciting thing that we've learned in the process is how much they value that. Um, people are learning yeah, themselves. That's, that's a positive, isn't it? Yeah. It's orthopedic surgeons translating other orthopedic surgeons. Mm. They feel like they're learning from people that they wouldn't get that information directly mm -hmm. from. And then they're paying that forward to their peers mm. who now access that information. Mm -hmm. So there's a 
great pride in that work. Um, so that's been a really interesting um, kind of uh, discovery for us. Um, so that leads to kind of the, you know, the overall secret grand plan of Edify Medical is that in all of the translation work we're doing, we're collecting all of that accurate data as well as the inaccurate data as bench, bench line. Um, and we're going to be working to power medical AI translation, um, you know, for the future. That's a big vision. Um, Got it. Yeah, because obviously people um, doing it needs to be done now, but long term, can you get to that point? And I think it's all about how much data you have effectively. Exactly. And that's no one's got the data. So no, we that data doesn't exist. Collecting hmm. and building that data. Um, um, base to so we have a purpose with the process that's not just what people do it most translations done now it's just done and that's it that's on one sheet of paper and that's a complete waste of time resources it's in one moment whereas we, we're hoping to actually make that continue to live um, and breathe its own self and come back to benefit everyone else in the future oh, brilliant um now you're a day, you're a translation company, effectively, <laughs> backed by some technology that actually distributes the content. How did you go about finding your technology co-founder? Because we haven't talked. It was Adrian, I believe his name was. Yeah, yeah. Adrian and Bianca partners. Um, I didn't really mm -hmm. uh, understand. Um, I didn't, you know, didn't know really what his skill sets were, other than kind of graphics design. Um, it was Bianca that said, oh, God, Adrian's the man for this, you know, the other side. And I was like, oh, okay. So we kind of put a bit of a sell sheet to him about, yes. you know, what do you say? You want to get on board? Um, and um, so, yeah, that's so we kind of accidentally fell onto one because there was like a little, you know, uh, <laughs> relationship already going got on. In the yeah, no, I got it. So that obviously... Keeping it close, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just as long as we can make it work, that's all. I'm not saying that that's for everybody to go and work out how to yes. find a technical sound that way. <laughs> and it's, it's quite a unique way of doing it, but yeah, it's done. So, and that's, and so he's um, taking control, obviously, the, how the tech stacks managing yeah, so technology he, team. But he knows that because he's worked in the space. So he's brought on the tech team mm -hmm. um, to do that. One thing that we did actually agree on right at the beginning, again, based on the ethos of our company, was we all have kids um, and we want our children to have jobs in the future um, and paid what they're, you know, that, what they're worth um, and live in this beautiful country. So we were very adamant that our spend stayed in the country, um, especially with this really expensive tech built. Um, because we looked around, we just couldn't see anything yes. that served. Mm. We had to build, um, but our was like understand it's going to cost us more, but we have a vision that it's we have to live our ethos of supporting Australians. No, I think that's a really good initiative. But one thing I question is: is it really costing more? Because I've seen people go offshore, spend big money, and not get anything delivered to any quality or spec. So it's sometimes you need to balance that out. It's all right. How close can we be to the technology team? Ensure they're a part of the vision. Um, ensure they understand what we're about as a business because that buy-in is more important than saving a few dollars here and there and then hoping you oh. get back what you want or what you expected or what that, you imagined. So there's a bit in that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely bang on. I 
do I think that we've spent, no, do I think the value and the engagement and the enthusiasm and the passion, we're, they're not just people behind computers. They actually really live and breathe the philosophy of the company. We want them to be part of the future of the businesses. Um, and because we've built a platform, now we actually have not just Edify Medical, we have a platform as well that has all of the power to deliver this service to other needs out there you know and and I feel like we've saved time and an absolute fortune um kind of in even I wouldn't even say long run in the short run because we haven't actually gone overseas mm. yeah it's it's fascinating that whole overseas onshore offshore sort of mix and how people go about it um generally that <laughs> I find that the offshore experiences can work if you've got someone there or you've got some really someone really close that can actually understand the technology, what's coming back. Um, there is a translation problem too that you've got to be conscious of because culturally offshore is very different to how, if you're in Australia, very different to how we operate and how we think. So there's, there's differences in translation of if there's a problem, some cultural um, backgrounds were not flies their flag and say oh, i have a problem i don't understand something they'll spend weeks trying to figure it out in their own accord so there are these challenges that you need to be abreast of if you go down that path not saying anything against offshore onshore uh, i think you can deliver from all fronts but um yeah if you are in the position to stay mostly onshore it's generally a lot smoother but yeah it's still having that technical for co-founder will then give you a lot more uplift and be able to deliver this thing because they can keep their eye on it worth paying for one mm -hmm. that's one yeah. manager that you would put on a building site yes that's you would i would spend money on absolutely yeah and if you don't um you're sort of in a position where you're managing a project which you may have had project managing experience but you've never managed tech you don't understand the challenges in tech you don't understand how quickly things should move shouldn't move um it is complicated so technology is a complicated little beast uh, so, yeah, getting somebody to help is definitely a given, especially non-technical. Um, I do have one piece of advice that I think I've learned recently, and, um, yes. and it's because I'm a great tech co-founder that has avoided this problem. And I've seen this over and over again with colleagues who've gone through the program with us and kind of on a lot of the channels that I'm part of. Um, you know, people talk about when you break up with your tech team about IP, you know, who owns it and all of those really challenging um, kind of a breakup relationship <laughs> and accountability. Um, one thing that we um, have done and I'm so grateful for is that all of our tech has been all built on our accounts. Um, so the developers have um, access to do all of their work um, on our accounts. So Edify owns every bit of um, technology on every level from, you know, the video through. And that's something that's not often, people don't realise that. They just say, I would like this built and often guys go and they're doing their stuff. But it's actually sitting on their account because it's probably easier because they've got all their stuff on their place. And But when you, you know, recently a, a very good friend um, has had to break up um, she can't access any of that stuff. Yeah, like, that's, it's, it's scary. I've heard people that have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars to teams that they can't get this code back. And yeah, I... Advice that we didn't learn 
accelerator. If I could, yes. if I, one message I can impart here today, all development, those should be your account. You own it and they build it in there. Yeah, and I think it's good advice. Like even your hosting providers, if you're using AWS, yeah, your Azure's of the world, own the keys to that. Um, yeah, we do that for our clients. We run a tech business um, around products and bits and pieces. But if we're developing something, um, yes, we get give them the keys because you want to be transparent. And IP is important to understand. There's a lot of IP challenges if you don't really understand the detail. Um, as a as a coder, if I'm writing something, I effectively own the IP unless I sign it over to you. Um, so it's important to understand that. And what does that mean? I'm writing the book effectively. So the knowledge is coming out of my head, creating the code. Um, some people get stuck in positions where they may own the final product, but they don't own the underlying code base, which means the whole value of their business is really shot in the foot because they just got their outstanding product if they want to build on it they can't and it's i've seen people had to start again uh, so there are a lot of gray areas in that space an understanding there that's mm -hmm. that if anywhere that i've seen yeah. where mm -hmm. it gets wet, much is definitely there and yeah. i we again feel really grateful that mm. we had a you know an experienced person helping mm navigate the business through those really um just we just completely unobvious to me um challenges yeah. you're not aware of it it's um it's like anything what's it out of your what you don't know you don't know that can be the space of being non-technical having someone you can rely on is important um whether it be your tech team your advisory team in the technology space or that co-founder that comes in and helps guide that but um in the end, um, you need the right person in the team. So, and you wouldn't know that until you go through the journey either. So sometimes that's a little bit of a tricky one. But um, you know, there's plenty in that. You've been this has been a pleasure having a conversation. I think we're getting close to an hour, so we might um, start winding up. And just, I think there's been a lot for people to think about in this conversation. How do we pick co-founders that we're working with? Um, also, I think the the CEO. Um, activation program i think everybody should be a part of that that's in business i think that's a um and i'll put my hand up and we'll go do that from our business i think that's a, a positive thing to actually give back to some um credible people that have been um that are looking to make a big difference in the world or in their own little dynamic and area so i think that's a really good initiative next year directly i won't yes. lose that <laughs> no definitely um send me everything you need to do i'll go through that process so i think that's it's a, it's an amazing little um, initiative, and I quite that. That's and on International Women's Day, I think it's a really good thing that we can share and talk about. So, thank you, Yupin. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having um, me on. Let everyone know a little bit about Edify Medical. Yeah, in terms of anyone wants to learn more about Edify Medical, how might they reach out, and what's the best place to get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can find us on. Um, both on um, the websites at biomedical.com.au. Uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, you can find um, us through there. Um, love you to just jump on and actually download the app, Edify Med, um, on the App Store or Google Play. Give us some feedback um, on it. That would be great. We're populating all the Thai um, um, onto that now. So it's all got all of the, in the English. Um, um, so that would be really amazing if we can actually see um, and, and get some feedback on, on our product. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's how you'll find us. And please come and say hello. And if, um, 
And if you think that we can help you communicate your business in other languages, which is something that a lot of people don't think about, um, you know, come to us. We're all in health and we're all in tech and um, th there's a big world out there who um, in a really big market who, you know, who do stuff in, in other languages other than English. Yeah, and I think when we're in an English-speaking country, it can be a little bit... Um, maybe daunting to think about that too, but um, yeah, if you've got the the help that you need and a group like yours definitely can assist. So you can really appreciate you coming on Dev Ready Podcast, sharing your journey to date. Let's check in in a year or so because I'd love to hear how it all progresses because I think there's um, big things in your pathway. So yeah, good luck with everything and look forward to speaking soon. Thank you. Thanks, you.